0: Bread Life Orphans was something I partnered with when I was in, in uh, Texas before moving back home here to Birmingham. And, and uh, they do an awesome, an awesome ministry there. And, and, and you're not going to catch all this with a little video. But, and I don't have time to tell you all this, but they do some of the coolest stuff. You know, we, we raised the money to dig that well uh, a couple of years ago. They needed about 5000 ended up being about $6,000, maybe a little over there. that's what they ended up spending on the well. We raised $13,000 to send to them. But you know what happened? In that whole city of Brostony, nobody has clean drinking water. Their, their uh, city water is, is horrible. I mean, it looks like weak coffee is coming out of the pipes. They are the only people in all of Brostony, Romania, that have clean drinking water. And so what they've done is they've turned that into a ministry tool. People all over the city come to get their water, and they, they give it away. And then they take the time to say, you know, hey, would you like something to eat? And also share with them the word, uh, the word of God. They share with them the love of Christ. And the same thing, they, they started, they have all these kids. They can only, they can only house 80 kids resident in their uh, orphanage. And I, I'm sharing a little bit of this because some of you, if you've been here just the past six months, you've never heard of the Bread of Life Orphanage maybe, even though we've been given to it and we do all these projects with them. They can only house 80 kids residents, but they have they were having dozens of kids come and uh, to eat in their kitchen, uh, in their soup kitchen for lunch. And after they fed them, then they would minister to them. They would share with them the word of God, the love of Jesus, the gospel. But then they would have to send them back out to the streets, and uh, they still have to do that. But what God has done is He has blessed them with an ability. They actually have been able to buy a lot of property where they they have a farm. And they've been able to find feeding centers, and now they have eleven. If you heard that, said they have eleven feeding centers all across uh, that area of Romania, and they feed one thousand kids every day. That takes a lot of food. Now, uh, when they're talking about a container, they're talking about one of those that goes on the back of a semi, you know, that then you can put on the back of a of a on a train to take, and then actually put on a barge to to take all the way to uh, Romania. So that's a lot of food. That'll that'll feed all those kids for three months. We want to do our part. We got a pantry set up back there and we need to fill the pantry. And the Missions team has provided this for you. Here's your here's your shopping list for the pantry and uh take the whole pad home because uh, they've also, you know, after you're done Shopping for the pantry, you can shop for yourself. Uh, but they provide that for you. Don't just tear off the top part. All of, this, all of that's yours. But there's, these are the th- items that are needed. Bring them uh, Wednesday night. Bring them Sunday. Let's fill that up, and, and uh, let's do even more than is back there, okay? So let's get into the message. Let me say this, that I am, uh, I'm, I'm uh, filling in today. I know I'm pastor, but I'm filling in because JC is actually supposed to be speaking today. Uh, This is going to be his first opportunity to speak for us, and we realized early this week that he was not going to be able to speak today, and so I uh, had to move up some things that I was planning on speaking. And 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 I need to share this with you also, is the sermon series that I'm beginning today. I was actually not going to begin for some time now, but there's been a whole lot of things going on, shaking in the spirit of the leadership here at 2911. God's uh, really doing some new stuff in our heart and our mind. He said, "Hey." We need to be going in a different directions. There's a lot of things happening. And so the, I actually had a different sermon series I was going to be preaching to you uh, about the next three weeks. But this is some new stirring in our hearts, as I say. And so we're beginning a series today on Nehemiah, restoring lives. And uh, everything I want to say about introduction, whatever, is in our scripture. So I don't want to say any more about that. But for the next three weeks, I'm going to share with you about Nehemiah and restoring lives. And this morning, what I want us to pray, I want you to start praying this even right now. I want you to start praying, God, give me the heart of a restorer. Do you know anybody around you that needs something restored? Come on, anybody? You know anybody around you in your house, on your street, where you work? This week, you're going to meet some kids in the school you go into starting tomorrow that need some things restored. God, give us the heart of a restore. Let's pray. Father, I love you and thank you, God, for what you've already done in this place of God, the way you've drawn us in. And Lord, I, I know you drew us in, Lord, because you wanted to minister to our need. You wanted to speak to our need. But God, let us not be in a hurry to run away from your side, but let us just sit here for a while now and let us hear what you're speaking to us about what you need, God what you want out of us, not just what you can do for us, but God, what we can do for you. And God, give us that opportunity. Lord, I pray, renew the heart of a, of a restorer in us. God, give us give us that love all over again, the love for you, the love for your your house, the love for your people, God, and the love for your lost people. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you stir us today. I I pray, God, that somebody here asks you. I pray that dozens here ask you today, God, give me the heart of a restorer. Renew my love for you and for your people. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody agree with that prayer? Said. Thank you. Thank you. That's a lot better than early service, but y'all don't tell him I said that, okay? Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1 and introduce you to, to to, to the guy we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. The words of Nehemiah, son of Akaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year while I was in the citadel of Susa. None of that's really important other than the fact that it's Nehemiah that we're talking about, okay? He said, one of his brothers, Hanani, he came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile. Okay, here's what had happened over the past... 70, uh, 160 years, here's what had happened. Is Israel had turned their back on God. Now, Israel had turned their back on God and they began to fight against themselves and and they actually were split into two nations, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And they continued to turn their back on God. The northern kingdom had 19 kings uh, as a northern kingdom. And you know how many of them were good? You know how many of them were righteous? Goose egg, this many. The southern kingdom had 20 kings, actually 19 kings and one queen. And of them, yeah, they did have some good. They had eight good kings, but the other 12, 11 kings and one queen, were evil. Now, because of this, now uh, some people, some people uh, uh, they kind of get irritated with God a little bit because they say, you mean if I don't serve God, God's not going to bless me? No, if you don't serve God, God can't bless you. You've tied his hands. you put his hands at, you know, in manacles. You've you got his hand in the handcuffs. I mean, uh, this is God's way. He wants to bless you. I mean, he's, he's already written in his word thousands of things he wants to do in your life. But when we don't follow God, we don't, we don't obey him, we don't walk with him. He can't bless us. And so, so, so they bound his hands. And so what, what God had to do, God had to back off. God had to wait for them to call on him. He wasn't blessing them. He wasn't protecting them. And so the Assyrian army came in and, and uh, destroyed the northern kingdom. They just, they just utterly destroyed it. And, and the, uh, then later the Babylonians came in, and they overthrew the southern kingdom. And one of the things they did back in those days uh, these world empires that were coming and just kind of, you know, taking over the world, what they would do is they would take everybody in this particular nation and they would just scatter them across the face of the earth because in the Jews' case, what they would want to, is they wouldn't want the Jews to all be living together in the same area so they could be talking and meeting and thinking about, hey, how are we going to rebel and get our, get our kingdom back? And so they were exiled or they were, they were shipped out all over the place. I mean, families were split up. And so this is what had happened 150 plus years before this. Is they, is they, were, they were scattered in this way. They were exiled. The children of God had been separated from the, from the house of God, from the place of God, and from their own God. 150 plus years, guess what? Most of, most of those didn't know anything about, anything about uh, uh, God. They didn't know anything about living for him. They didn't know anything about his, his rules, his life, They didn't uh, that he uh, planned for them, about the dreams. They didn't know anything about his promises. They did not know that they were his children. They, they were his choice people, Israel. They didn't know they were called the children of God, and they didn't even know what that meant if you told them that. And in the same way, you know what? I look around and I see the same thing. In our day, right now, today, there are people, they have grown up, and they don't know. They don't know what it means to be a child of God. And they don't even know that they were created in the very image of God. They, they don't understand. I mean, if you tell them that, they don't even know what that means. As we were singing a little while ago about, uh, about how great he was, I was thinking about his holiness and about his majesty and, and, and about just his ways, just the way he thinks about me and you. I mean, how awesome he is. And people, out they don't even know that. You've heard me say, if you've been around here very long, that just in North Jefferson County alone, the surveys say that, and this is not what I say, this is what people are saying about themselves, there are over 20,000 people in North Jefferson County alone, unaffiliated with any Christian church whatsoever. And we're so close to Blunt and Walker County lines, we reach over to those. So I mean, there, are, there are tens of thousands of people right here in our midst, people we work with, we go to school with, we shop with, Our kids play ball with. you. We go to to these places with them. All these people all around us that that they don't even know what it means to be the children of God. They don't know they were created in His image. They are exiled from Him. We need some people who have the heart of a restorer to do something about that. He, he, He was concerned about them. And He also asked about Jerusalem because He loved Jerusalem. And then they said to Him, those who had survived the exile and are back in the province are in great... Trouble. This is a world full of trouble today. And I was thinking this week, you know, the, 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 the problem with the trouble that we have in our country today, you know, I, I was thinking about some of, the, some of the blessings that I have seen in our country today. And you know what? My, my grandkids, I got a two, almost three year old, and I got a, an eight month old. You know what? They're going to grow up and they're not going to know the awesome blessings that God has given to this country in times past. They're not going to know the ways that God has moved in in, in our history. Oh man, I- I wish you had time, if you get time this afternoon to ask me, I'll, I'll tell you some of the historical battles, some of the, some of the, actually the wars and battles that have been fought, that it was obvious how God moved in and delivered this country. And you know what? The, the kids growing up today, the generation growing up today, they're not going to know that. You know what they're going to do? They're going to accept the fact that we will always be battled. We will always be in battle. We will always have less than we maybe need. They will always have $13 trillion worth of debt or more. They will always struggle to make ends meet financially. We'll always have to work a couple of jobs to make ends meet financially. They'll never understand. They will never know what it really means to live except to live in trouble. That's the generation that we're living in today. A generation of trouble. We need to restore. It says in trouble and disgrace. Let me tell you the disgrace. It's because when when Nehemiah heard this report, when he asked this question, heard this report... The temple had been built. Seventy years ago, the temple had been finished. It took them 20 years to build the temple. So 90, it was 90 years ago that Cyrus issued the decree to say, all right, Jews, you can go back and you can rebuild the temple. You can go back to Jerusalem and you can rebuild Jerusalem. Ninety years ago, they go back and they, they rebuild the temple. It takes them 20 years, so now it's 70 years later. But it's 90 years later that this is happening, and, and Nehemiah is hearing this. He is hearing that their lives are still in destruction their homes are still destroyed the city is still lying waste there is no protection there is no blessing there is no you know that's a disgrace that the temple has been sitting there for 70 years but there are families all around it falling apart somebody say amen or oh me or I'm going to preach here for a while because we call this an area I've heard a lot of people call this area an area that is over-churched we don't need any more churches in North Jefferson County. Okay, if this is an over area, let me tell you what it also is. It's an area of disgrace. Because of all these churches around here, what are we seeing out there? We're seeing just like the Jews saw, the temple is intact. There is ministry. There is worship going on every single Sunday morning in our area. Yet lives are still being destroyed. People are still taking their own life in suicide. Families are still breaking up. Kids are still rebelling. Drugs are still rampant. I mean, all this, this is a disgrace. I mean, I mean, for us to call, don't you dare call us a, an over area when that many lives are falling apart out there. It's a disgrace. Somebody needs to get the heart of a restorer and do something about it. It's, the, the walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And Nehemiah, when I heard these things, he said, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. In the next few verses, verse 5 to 11, he's he he he's got his prayer listed there. And the first part of verse 11, even so it's a good little prayer there. And we're going to look at that later in another sermon, probably next week. But there's something he says at the end of verse 11. It's, it's just almost parenthetical, it seems like. It's just... <clears throat> Almost tacked on there. Man, I don't even know wh- why it belongs there unless you study. He says, I was cupbearer to the king. I'll explain some of what that means in just a moment. I want to lay it out there for you. I wanted you to see it. So this is what happened to Nehemiah. Nehemiah loved Israel. Nehemiah loved Jerusalem. Nehemiah loved God. Nehemiah loved the people of God. Nehemiah loved the temple and he loved the worship of God. And when he heard that the city of God and he heard that the people of God were in trouble and it was in disgrace and the walls were still broken. What does a lover do? Nehemiah broke down. He wept. He cried. He prayed. He fasted. He mourned. He sought God over it. He, he, he said, oh, woe is me. I mean, he said, I don't know if there's anything can be done. And he cried and he wept because he loved and he desired it so much. He desired to see it's good. He desired to see it's, it, it be blessed again. He desired to see God move back in and begin uh, meeting needs. Nehemiah uh, had a great love for that, and he wept, and he cried, and he fasted, and he prayed, and he mourned. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more and what, what all that means. Secondly, he recognized, he realized, he understood, he knew what his calling was, and he accepted it. He he had a calling. He had something to do. He recognized what it was, and he accepted it, and he moved into it. I'm going to tell you more about that in just a second as well. And then thirdly, he gave up his amazing life. Now, there's a lot of people that give up an hour and a half like you're doing right now, huh? We're giving God an hour and a half right now. Ooh, I'm really sacrificing for God. He's got an hour and a half of my time every Sunday morning. And there's a lot of people that will die for Jesus but the question is, how many people will live for Jesus? Give up his life. And you think, oh, he was just a cupbearer. No, let me tell you what a cupbearer was. A cupbearer, you know, he, he, would, he would bring the cup to the king for the king to drink out of. Sometimes he would have to taste out of the cup. You know why? Because that was one of the favorite, favorite ways to kill a king is to poison the king's drink. Sometimes he would have to drink that. And you, and you know what? So when, when they hired a cupbearer, it had to be somebody... Who was trustworthy. He had to be somebody who had the confidence of the king. It had, be, it had to be somebody that the king held in high esteem and high regard. And you know what? It was also somebody that was well paid. That's just the way they did it back in those days because if you think about it. If there's somebody that is protecting the cup you're going to drink out of, and you know, I mean, he's like the Secret Service. You want to pay the Secret you're not going to pay the Secret Service $5,000 a year and say, hey, hope you can get up. I mean, you're going to pay them good because they're taking care of the king. He was paid well, and we find, we find it out in the book of Nehemiah because we see he had a lot of money because he bought a lot of stuff. He paid for a lot of stuff on his own. He gave all that up to go and be a restorer in Jerusalem. He gave it up. He, he didn't say, hey, let me take a journey because we find him there many years later. Oh, and I've got to tell you something. He didn't go hire a bunch of people. But well, we're going we're to see later in this, in this uh, series of sermons, we're going to see later also that he didn't hire a bunch, but he rolled up his own sleeves. He had his own servants. They also worked. They got blisters. They were working. They were doing the work. He gave up his charmed life to get out there and do what it took to be a restorer. And then finally, he talked to those he knew. You see this thing about being the cupbearer to the king? It also put him right beside the king. Everything he said, the king would hear. Everything the king said, he heard. He had the king's ear. He could ask the king for anything that he wanted to. doesn't mean the king would give it to him, but he had the king's ear. He had the king's trust. And you know what? If the king wanted him to continue, the king wasn't really likely to say no if it was something really hard on Nehemiah's heart. Why? Because he didn't want Nehemiah mad at him, not the cupbearer. And he risked it. He risked going to the king with his need and saying, I've got to tell you something about Jerusalem i got to tell you what's going on in my hometown. He risked doing it. He got himself ready. He prayed about it, and he went and did something because he was a restorer. Our world needs some restorers. Your world, your communities. We've all got three communities, remember? Your communities need a restorer. So what is a restorer? A restorer is someone who loves. A restorer loves, has a, has a deep love for, for the things. Nehemiah. He loved God, he loved God's people, he loved the temple of God, he loved the city of God, he loved everything to to, to, to do with God. Now I've I've got this strange idea, and some of you may really think this is weird or strange and crazy for a pastor to even imagine, but I believe people ought to love their church. Ooh, that was quiet. I believe people ought to love their church. Now, normally, when a pastor says that, a pastor is going to preach a message on making you love the church. You've been here long enough to know that. Most of I know we got quite a few visitors here today, but you've been here long enough to know that isn't true here. I don't say that. I've, I've said this in different ways. Over the years, I've said it recently a couple of times. I don't say this flippantly. I don't say this without thinking about it. I know what I'm saying right here. Let me tell you something. If you don't love this church and you can't love 2911, then by all means, ask God where you're supposed to be and go get there. You need to love your church. You need to be in a place that you love. You need to be in a place that that you adore. You need to be in a place that you wake up on Sunday morning and say, I was glad when they said unto me, I mean, if you wake up on Sunday morning and you say, oh, goodness, it's church time again. Go find you somewhere else to go to church. Please, by all means, our worship be a whole lot better. Amen or oh me. (laughs) Because if you don't like us, you don't like me, you don't like the way I do a little this or that or whatever, you don't like it, guess what? One day down the road, something's going to happen. You're going to have a bad day and you're going to come in here and tell us all the stuff you don't like about us. Hey, you do it with the people you love that you live with every day, don't you? So you're going to end up doing it with us too. And so what, by all means, let God help you find where you belong. You need to be in a church that you love. You need to be in a church that you're willing to live for. You need to be in a church that you're willing to sacrifice for. You need to be in a church like that. You need to find a place that you, oh, and I hope it's here. I, you know, I think everybody all love this church. Because this is the one in my heart. you know. It's easy. For me. It's, it's right out of my heart. I mean, man, I'm seeing God fulfill what he laid in my heart a long time. So I love that. I think everybody ought to love this. But if you don't love this, I know we want to be a church for anyone, but I know we're not a church for everyone. If you don't love this, let God show you where you belong and go fall in love with that and give yourself to it. Because people that love, let me tell you, Four things real quick. Go right back to the four things about Nehemiah. First of all, people that love care. They care. You know, when somebody says, my marriage is falling apart, they don't say, well, that sounds really bad. I'll say a prayer for you if I remember when I get home after all the other stuff I've got going. Now, we don't say all that. That's what we mean. People that don't love, they don't care. People that don't love, they don't cry over the millions of babies who are being killed in their mother's womb every year in this country. You know, somebody said a long time ago, I read this, I don't remember where it was, they said, you we have lost the ability to blush in this country. How long has it been since you blushed? How long has it been since somebody told an off-color story and you had to blush? How long has it been since somebody said something they shouldn't have said? Or how long has it been since someone uh, explained something and they went overboard with the explanation and it made you blush or it turned your stomach? We don't even know how to blush or, or have our stomachs turn or cry anymore. We need, we, need to re, we need to relearn the art of loving God and loving God's people. Because people who love care. And people who love, they find out what it is that God wants them to do. And they, when they learn what that is, you know what they do? They embrace it. People that love God, they embrace the calling. And I'm not just talking about the next five minutes. You know, it was like we were talking just the other day, but like Kelvin. You know what I was talking about? You know, how Paul, because he knew about way down the road, man. When I know about way down the road, I can stand in my storm today. That's why Paul, when when the ship. Crumble beneath his feet. I mean, when it was falling apart, and he was shipwrecked. When he had to swim ashore, and when he got on the on the island, and they didn't know what kind of people were on the island. If you know, if you know, they might be you know might be headhunters or something. They didn't know what kind of people were on the island, if they were peaceable or not. And and then and then when he was gathering sticks for a fire, a a snake latched onto his hand. and all those times, you know what. Paul never got upset. He never got over excited or anything. You know why? Because he had just heard a word from God the night before. You're going to stand before Caesar before you die. You know what? Paul could have lived. I, I mean, he would have been an insurance man's nightmare. He could, have, he could have lived as dangerously as he wanted because he knew he was not going to die until he had fulfilled what God's mission was for his life. And people who love, they go find out God's mission for their life. And you know what? They don't wake up on Sunday morning saying, we're going to go to church day or night. They don't, they don't wake up on Monday and say, oh, am I going to live for God today or not? They don't wake up on Tuesday and say, am I going to tell somebody about how much God means to me or not? People who love God, they have already figured out what their life's calling is. They're chasing after. They're looking for it. They know the place that they're going to be in five days, five weeks, five months, five years. They've already chosen that. They've already, and they're embracing it and say, because of that, I know where I'm going and I can stand through a whole lot of storms. I can stand through a whole lot of serpents latching onto my hand and just shake them off in the fire and keep going. They embrace their calling. They dream the big dreams that God has for their life. Not just, not just what God, not, well, what, God, Where what do you want us to eat today? Not know the big dreams that God has for our life. They embrace it. But people who don't love, they see ministry as work. If you attend this church and you are working for God, quit. Stop. But if you want to serve God, come see me. And quit working for him when you embrace what he has called you to do. It's not. Did y'all see that tweet, that post a couple weeks ago that, that I posted that on Facebook, that tweet? You know, if you will find out what God has called you to do, you will never work for him again in your life. Go after it. Go after it, chase it, and find it. Because, you know what, one of the reasons you don't love church, some of the reasons you don't love church is because you're working for God. You're working in church. Quit working for Him. And I'll tell you this, if, you're a compla- if you complain about the stuff you have to do for God, I hereby accept your resignation. You're better off right now, and the church is going to be much better off too. I mean, if you're around here complaining about this, st- man, you ain't in the place you're supposed to be, so let- just go ahead. I accept your resignation. You don't have to do it anymore. Let's find some some place where you love what you're doing for God and it's not work, it is service. It is being out there for Him. It is chasing and it's doing the thing that God dreamed and birthed you to do for Him. That's what what they do is they embrace their calling. And and thirdly, they surrender. They surrender. Nehemiah surrendered. Give my whole life to you, God. And here again, as in the early service, I don't have time to share with you all I want to share with you right now. Okay, so here again, you know, you got time this afternoon. You ask me, I can, I can give you this little point right here. I'm going to give it to you best I can, but I don't have time to share all the details with you. I want to share some details with you. I want to tell you about the sacrifice, the surrender that it took from a lot of people for this church to get to the place where it is. Does God need us? No, but he chooses to use us. But he chooses to use people who are sold out, surrendered, and sacrificed for him. You know, I don't have time to go into details. We got people that moved into this area to help launch this church. That was a sacrifice. We got people who are driving across town. They started to be able to launch, and they're still doing it. It's a sacrifice. You know, I, I I didn't want to tell you a lot of, and I, I, I talked God a lot about this today, too, this whole week. I, I I don't want to tell you a whole lot because I don't want to brag. Okay, so I don't want to tell you a whole lot, but I'm going to tell you something. We walked away from some stuff to plant this church. We made some decisions. And, you know, those things, that's between me and God. I, you know, I, I don't want you to praise me. I want his blessings because he can bless me a whole lot better than you can. Okay, so I I, I don't want to tell. I'm gonna tell you this: your title don't impress me anymore. I walked away from a whole lot of stuff. Your title don't impress me anymore. Who you know? I don't care. I don't care who you know. You know, I, you know. I got I got a cell phone back there. I I can show y'all some phone numbers. Some of y'all some of y'all be ooh. Can we text him today? You know, because I connected with them at an event or something or like that, and I guess there's a little pride in me won't let me delete it because it's kind of cool to have their names. You know, and I scroll up through that little thing and I see that there. It's kind of cool to have that. Accidentally, accidentally text one of them one day and ask him to bring ice to uh, for uh, to, we're going to make ice cream. I meant to text Bradley and I accidentally text this guy and he texts me back. So I don't know who you are and I can't come to your house today and bring ice. You know, it's kind of cool though. You know. I know some people, okay? But you know what? I'm not impressed anymore about who I know, who you know, or who anybody knows. I'm not impressed. I've had titles, but I'm not impressed by titles anymore because you know what? I'm serving one that has the title of all titles. Now, I'm not talking about King of Kings, Lord of Lords, any of those things. I'm talking about my Savior, my friend. That's the best title in the whole universe. I mean, that's, I, I'm not impressed. And you know what? I don't care how much money you got. Don't wave it in front of me. I don't care. Don't, don't tell me how much money you've given to this or given. I don't care. Because you, cause you didn't get it on your own. God either gave it to you and God gave it to you. But probably somebody else in your life is the one that is the reason that you got that money that you got anyway. I'm not impressed by any of that stuff. What I'm saying, all the stuff i walked away from, it was nothing in the first place. That's like somebody saying, I gave up smoking for God. Yeah, and you gave up emphysema and lung cancer. You didn't give up anything for God. You surrendered and said, God, make my life what it is supposed to be. And here's the danger right here. It has taken a lot of sacrifice to get to this place. I wish I didn't have to tell you about chapter 13. And we're not talking about the bankruptcy court, but it really is interesting when one of these stories ends up in a chapter 13 in the Bible, isn't it? A spiritual bankruptcy of chapter 13, Nehemiah chapter 13. And you know what they did? These men that left their lives like Nehemiah, that left all the stuff that they had all. I mean, Nehemiah could have just sat there all these years and just kept the r- money rolling in. He didn't have to go to Jerusalem and work, but he did, and he took a lot of people with him. And they left behind their lives. They left behind their families. They left behind their houses that they had built, and other all the stuff they had amassed. And you know what they did in chapter thirteen? It says they moved down there, and all these other all these other people that didn't follow God, they were now living in Jerusalem. They were living around the, the areas of Jerusalem, and they had all these idols and they had all these things they were doing. They were. They were disobeying God and following in different ways. And you know what? These men that had left everything for God, they got down there and let all this stuff just come into their life. And so they had emptied themselves of themselves and they had come down to serve God for a time. And you know what they did? They unsurrendered, they took their life back. They gave it to God for a while. And then they said, okay, God, you know, we've been working here for a few years. It's time now for me to... And they took their life back. And here's the worst part. There is no chapter 14. They unsurrendered. They took their life back. They walked away from God. They were putting themselves back in the same place that their ancestors had been. And there was no chapter 14. And whatever it's taken for you to get here, it's going to take for you to get on home with it. For us to make it finish. And you know what? That's part of the stirring that God has in me. It's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some surrender. Some of you young converts, we got a lot of them around here. There were 60 people attending this church who were not attending anywhere else before coming here. Thank God for that. That's one of the dreams. It's one of the parts of the dream. One of our our definitions of what a win is around here. And so some of you, you might not be in a place where you know how to sacrifice to go there. That's fine. But most of us are. And we know. and, And we know that to be a restorer of the lives around us, it is going to take more Than acting like we're Christians on Sunday morning. Here's the last thing. It's nine after. I'm sorry. Hope the roast in the crock pot's not getting overdone right now. But if it is, call me and I'll buy you a five guys. Here's the last thing a lover talks about the thing he loves. If you love something, you will make us sick talking about it. I get sick of hearing about bass fishing from some of you guys because I had been in so many years. I get sick of hearing about golf from some of you other guys because I ain't played well in so many years. Don't have the time. Sometimes don't have the money. You know what? Some of you some of you I even get sick of hearing about college football from some of you. I'm a big, huge college football fan. I ask in the early service, if you want to know something about Alabama football, who do you talk to around here? Adam, Adam, Adam. I'm calling Adam out this morning. Okay, so y'all just go ask Adam what's going on. He, know, he can tell you how many days it is until kickoff. If you hadn't figured, he already knows. All he's got to do is subtract one from yesterday. He's been tracking it for a month, I think, already. He knows, you know, and he, that's what he loves. You want to know about my grandkids? Ask me. You know? Don't ask Sister Baker. She'll tell you about hers. Those are the ones she loves, but the ones I love, I talk about. My three, almost three-year-old, my eight-month-old. People who don't love God, they don't ever talk about Him. How long has it been since you talked about Him? They talk, they, they talk about Him to the people around them, above them and below them. Nehemiah talked to the king. He risked it. He talked to the guy over him. He talked to the king. And he talked to those under him. He gathered a crowd to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. He risked it. Why? Because he loved it. He loved it. We need to fall back in love with God again, don't we? If you can't do it here, go somewhere where you can. You say, I don't want you here. I don't want you here if you can't love God. Here, go find you a place that you can fall in love with God. Because you're going to be miserable, we're going to be miserable. And nobody's going to be restored. Stand with me. Everybody come to the front. Come on. Come on to the front, if you will. Let's close in final prayer and a final song. Jesus. I want us to pray. Come on, step on in. Let's get everybody out of the aisles if we possibly can. I want us to pray. I want us to ask God, God, make me a lover. Give me the heart of a restorer. Because why? You got people around you in trouble. You got people around you in exile. You got people around you whose lives and their, their families, their marriages, their kids are in disgrace because they're living in the shadows of your house, a Christian's house. They're living in the shadow right next door to your church or some other church. It's a disgrace. That's why, God, I want you to pray, God, make us a restorer. Give us the heart of a restorer again. Let me fall in love with you again, God. And when if you'll fall in love with him again, you're gonna love everybody he loves and everything he loves. I'll tell you what love does. Love rebuilds walls. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Love rescues families. And love restores lives. Worship doesn't do that. Friendship doesn't do that. But love does that. The first thing we need to do is we need to fall in love with God again. And you need to fall in love with your church. And if this ain't it, did you read my, did you read my blog. Don't raise your hand. Somebody, be, you need to go read my blog about leaving church, okay? You, know, you need to read my, because there's some, there's something in there for everybody. And I'll tell you this: a couple of weeks ago, I, I skipped. it. I'm gonna say it. You know, hey, uh, we don't have a second, we don't have a third service, so I don't have to be in a big a hurry, do I? I'm gonna just say this real quick, as quick as I can. A couple of weeks ago, I read something. I started to retweet. It, I said, I'm gonna save that for this Nehemiah series coming up. It's gonna drop in real quick. Now I was gonna skip it. I'm gonna say it because I've been saving. it didn't know I was going to preach this two weeks later. I thought it was going to be a couple of months down the road. But I can't remember who it was that said this. Pastor of a larger church that said this. And I'm following him Twitter, uh, on Twitter. and He said, consumerism is killing discipleship. You know, the shopping that we do for church. You know, if we go, you know, I like Sunday morning at this church. And I like Wednesday night at this church. And I like... The prayer meeting at this church, and I like, you know, the youth events at this church. Where's discipleship? There's no discipleship when that happens. There's no discipleship that can happen. You need to find the place that God wants you and put down some roots and grow. Be discipled. Love God. Know who who He has called you to be, what He has called you to do. And when you find that place, fall in love with that because that's the thing God's called you to. It may be the worst church in town. It may be the ugliest church. In, but it's the place God called you to. It must be because He wants you to help make it better. Then fall in love with it. I pray it's here. Everyone, I don't want anybody to leave. But if you can't love this, please, for your sake, and for the sake of the kids that you're going to raise or the grandkids that you're going to help raise, for their sake, you go find the place that you can fall in love with and that you can raise them and you can get there every Sunday morning and you can say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Thank God it's Sunday again. It's not coming around fast enough. Amen. God, make us a restorer because the love that's in the heart of a restorer rebuilds walls, rescues families, and restores lives. Bow with me. Don't start singing until you finish praying. Ask God right now to restore your love for Him. Ask Him to to bring back the ability to blush. The ability to have your stomach turn somersaults when somebody says something so gross and, and improper and wrong. The ability to cry and have your heart broken when you hear a story of an abused child. When you hear the number of, of unborn children that were murdered in a mother's Well, God, restore in us the ability to love. Go ahead, Jamie, when you can. God. Give us the heart of a restorer, because truly, God, we have people all around us every day that we live that are in exile. They don't know they were created in Your image. They don't know that You love them. They don't know that You can be their source.